welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Timothy Pollitz. Tim is a research plant pathologist with the Wheat Health, Genetics, and Quality Research Unit since 2000. In the last decade, he has explored the soil microbiome of wheat and soil health. More specifically, he has explored how cultural, chemical, and crop rotation affect the microbiome of wheat. This includes glyphosate, tillage practices, and liming. He has focused on the fungal pathogens Rhizoctonia, Pythium, and Fusarium, and cereal cyst and root lesion nematode. He has collaborated with Dr. Kimberly Garland-Campbell for over two decades, looking for genetic resistance to these pathogens. Hello, Tim. Hi, Drew. So, Tim, your, your program received uh, $48,200 from the commission in the current fiscal year. Uh, can you tell us what these funds allow you to do that would not be possible without the additional support? Well, this, this allows us to really do all this research I'm going to talk about on Fusarium Crown Crown Rot, and it supports a lot of greenhouse efforts. So it supports half of a postdoc and then also half of a technician uh, to do all the crossing and all the screening and everything in the greenhouse and some field work. Um, and the other thing is that this this money, like most of our grain commission funds, are heavily leveraged from other grants that we have. So we do support them with uh, base funds, other grants, collaborations, and everything. So it really uh, synergizes that money that the grain commission uh, gives us in order to do this work. Yeah, I think that's one of the things the grain commission really looks for is that leveraging. And it sounds like you do a, a good job of of leveraging those funds to get even more work or more money to do this work. And the work really isn't possible without people. Right, right. <laughs> so that's where a lot of it goes. So how, how important is Fusarium crown rot in the dry land areas of the Pacific Northwest? Well, I would say of all the soil-borne pathogens I've worked on for the last almost 25 years, this is the one that is the most widespread and chronic. Okay, in other words, I can find it in conventional seeds. I can find it in direct seed areas. I can find it in, in high rainfall areas, low rainfall areas. Um, I, I can really find it just about everywhere. Um, and there was research done by Richard Smiley um, at Oregon State University in Pendleton, who had a 30-year career working on this. And he probably did the best uh, yield uh, work to see what the yield losses were. And he found that an average of about 9.5% in yield loss, uh, although some areas can, can be as much as 35%. And the thing about this disease is it not only re reduces yield, but also reduces the test weight and the quality. Uh, because the seeds are smaller because of the disease which attacks the crown and disrupts the uh, movement of water up to the uh, to the heads. Uh, we also had another student, Grant Poole, a PhD student about 15 years ago that did an extensive survey around eastern Washington, and he could find this disease in about 97% of the fields. And it was a mixture of two different species that we have, uh, Fusarium pseudogriminiarum and Fusarium calmorum. We tended to find the calmorum more in higher rainfall areas and the pseudogriminiarum in lower rainfall areas. But basically, it was mixtures, and we can we can find it everywhere. So, so this is I, I would say of all the diseases, probably the most widespread and, and chronic of all of them. 
Okay, so it's it's widely spread in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, is it a problem in other parts of the world? And and can you use findings from those other parts of the world to to help you with uh, how you approach it here in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, yeah it is a big problem in Australia, uh, also uh, North Africa, Middle East. Um, we have a lot of collaborations with cement in Turkey, and especially the Australians have probably advanced this uh, field more than than anybody. Uh, they and part of it is because their their climate and their soils are so much marginal and it takes a greater impact on them. So they've done a lot of genetic work. Uh, we've actually looked at a lot of their research and tried to mimic their systems of screening for disease. Uh, they found um, a lot of what, what are called QTLs, which are minor gene resistances in some of their lines, um, in which we have found a lot of the same things. Uh, they have, in fact, developed some tolerant varieties. Um, their system is more, uh, the breeding is done from the private end. So we use a lot of their um, lines kind of as standards to compare them to, kind of like our most resistant check. Um, so we've certainly leveraged a lot of their their research. Okay. And do they... they Reciprocate. They come over here and work uh, with you. We've visited there quite often. I've been to, to Australia probably three or four times. Uh, Richard Smiley spent a lot of time there. Uh, Jim Cook. So there's a long-term collaboration that goes back 40 years between Australia and the Pacific Northwest, and that's mainly because we share a lot of the same diseases. So not only Fusarium crown rot, but Rhizoctonia, uh, root lesion nematode, and cereal cyst nematode. Um, so. Uh, and yeah, we've done a lot of collaboration with them on those diseases. Okay, interesting. So um, how do growers try to manage this disease? Well, this is the difficulty here. There really is no chemical means of controlling this disease. Uh, there's been a lot of work done with seed treatments, uh, but I have not seen any that are very effective, mainly because you need to protect the plant for such a long period of time. Um, and so crop rotation uh, might help a bit, but it doesn't really manage it completely. And that's because the, the fusarium produces these spores in the soil that can last for many years. Uh, and it's also a residue-borne disease. So uh, crop rotation doesn't seem to do it. Uh, about the only thing that um, has been established, and this is work that goes back 40 years with Jim Cook, is that they realized early on that if you over-fertilize with nitrogen, you get more disease. And that's because this disease is uh, a water stress. It's exacerbated by drought. And so if you give it too much nitrogen, you run out of your uh, water supply, the plant goes into drought stress, and you tend to see more disease. So his recommendation always was to tailor your nitrogen fertilizer to, to match the water that you have in the soil. So that that leaves really resistance as I think the most promising uh, means of managing this disease. And that's been the focus of, the, of our Grain Commission research for the last uh, two or three cycles. Okay. So how do you go about screening for resistance? Well, this is another difficulty. Uh, unlike rust, where you can uh, see the disease on the leaf and very easily uh, rate it, uh, this one you have to look at browning on the, on the lower part of the stem. But the problem is, is that it's so affected by environment um, there's, a, there's a strong genotype-time environment interaction. So one thing you could do is you could screen lines in the field, 
but we don't get uh, reproducible enough disease and there's a high level of variability that that really hasn't worked. Um, the other thing you can do, and this is what Richard Smiley did for many years, is he actually inoculated his field plots. Uh, he developed a system where he could put an inoculum on millet seed into a gandy box and then uh, drill it uh, right next to uh, two rows and a four-row uh, head row where he would have paired two rows inoculated, two rows non-inoculated. Uh, and he could get better disease. But then he calculated, he did a paper one time where he calculated how many site years would you need to really determine whether something was tolerant or not. And he found with spring wheat, he could do it with 24 site years. But with winter wheat, it took like 85 or 90 percent or 90 site years to do. So that part really wasn't feasible either. So that then leaves us to the greenhouse. In the greenhouse, you can uh, control the environment very nicely, whether you're in in a uh, greenhouse or a growth chamber. But the problem is then mimicking the conditions out in the field that will give you the best disease. And uh, through through Grain Commission funding, we had two uh, PhD students uh, who have now graduated. One was Yvonne Thompson, and she figured out that if you vernalize the wheat early on and then at the very end uh, give it heat stress and uh, cut the water back, that you could get more disease. So that also helped us um, develop screening process. Uh, and then Nicola Strauss, uh, who finished up a couple years ago, uh, figured out a way of standardizing the inoculum um, and putting it around the plant. And then she also came up with a better method of screening. So we had this one to nine um, rating system where you would look at the discoloration on the stem and then try to assign it a number somewhat subjectively. But then she figured out that you could just count the number of inner nodes that were uh, brown, browning, and of course, the more higher level disease, the further up it would go on the stem. So she kind of uh, standardized that. So I think we've improved that method uh, for screening so that we can now uh, screen through um, our, our varieties. And our primary focus has always been screening uh, varieties that are out there already or very close to being released and to see whether we can find some that have some tolerance already. And we've been able to identify some, for example, uh, Aaron Carter's uh, variety called Devote um, uh, has a fairly high level of tolerance. It's a, 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 a white, a soft white wheat. Um, so that, that's one of the, the aspects that we've uh, done. Okay. Um, these ratings, are they available for growers to see? Are they like in the variety selection no, tool? No, that's or? kind of been our goal. Um, and part of it is we want to make sure that they're really reproducible uh, from one trial to the next uh, before we put those ratings out. Okay, from what you what you described, it sounds like uh, the real the ideal solution kind of for this disease is genetic resistance. So, can you tell us about the collaboration between you, a plant pathologist, and uh, and uh, Kim, the wheat breeder? Yeah, it's unfortunate that Kim couldn't be here today because she would talk about all this. So I'm going to try to wing it and <laughs> and kind of my understanding. Um, the the real effort has been to try to find um, adapted. Um, germplasm that we can put into the breeding program. And one of them has been through the use of what are called synthetics. Um, and these are were developed by CIMIT, which is a uh, an international NGO that we've worked with for many years. And basically what it does is it reproduces that domestication that happened four or 5,000 years ago, where you cross a tetraploid, which is uh, the uh, triticum durum, um, with, with a... Um, 
a, a diploid that has the D genome. And um, based on that, you can get a lot of the variation that was present during that early domestication that is not present in current varieties, but yet at the same time, they're, they're better adapted. Um, so we've developed uh, crosses with that and then uh, turned out and crossed it with a number of other uh, varieties uh, to develop one screening um, population. So that's one population. She's got another double haploid uh, population um, that's been crossed with some locally adapted uh, ones. Uh, we also have another interesting uh, land race um, from Iran that we've crossed with Louise and have back crossed it a number of times to to, to get material that's more closely related uh, to to our actually adapted varieties. And that is an interesting uh, parent. Uh, it actually also has resistance to root lesion nematode uh, and also rhizoctony. And that was a project that we had with uh, with Allison Thompson a number of years ago. Um, so the idea is that we get as much material as we can, uh, keep back crossing them, and then move them into the um, into the breeding program, um, so that we're not just uh, relying on really primitive land races. We want to get material that's that's more adapted. Okay, you mentioned devote earlier. Um, do you know where that resistance comes from? No, I I don't uh, unfortunately, but. Okay. Uh, but yeah, and, and I think the more that we screen material, the more that we'll find uh, things that might have tolerance. Now, I wouldn't call them resistance, and that's, okay. that's the other problem, is that even the Australians, after all the work they've done, it would, I would kind of consider it, it's not complete resistance like it is with a rust or something like that. And part of the problem is with this disease is that we know that resistance or tolerance is, is uh caused by lots of different minor genes doing different things. It's not like we have one major gene that gives complete immunity like we do in the rust. We, we just have not found that, and I don't expect that we will. Okay. So a very widespread problem, Fusarium crown rot, um, with uh, limited uh, means of controlling it, uh, but... Genetics seems to be the, the best way forward, and you're, you and Kim and others are working hard to try and find that. Is that the story? That's the story. All right, Tim, thanks for sharing. Let's, uh, let us keep us, I guess we'll ask you to keep us up to date over time to see okay. how, you, how you advance on this, because it sounds like you're fairly early on in the process. Right. All right. Appreciate you sharing your information with us today, Tim. Okay, thanks, Drew. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear in future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications and the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.